Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. Although I don't know how mundane this episode is going to be. At the very least, just listen and enjoy. Thank you for joining us. I'm Marco Timpano, and we have a special guest today, fellow podcaster. I want to welcome Edward Russell to the podcast. Welcome, Edward. Hello, Marco. It's nice to be here. Now, this is our first podcast where we're reaching out over the pond. We've had some um, episodes where we had some American uh, guests, so thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. We have a ton of UK listeners, so I'm happy to be recording with someone who's in the UK. One of the reasons I am so excited is Edward Russell, amongst all the other things he does, is a fantastic podcaster with a great podcast. (laughs) You know the right things to say, Marco. Well, every once in a while I get it right. But I'm just going to tell our listeners about your podcast, and I may have mentioned it before on this podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to listen, I really recommend you do because it is fantastic. It's called Inside the Groove. And it's a podcast that dissects Madonna's most famous songs and discusses how they were written, recorded. You get to hear demos, isolated tracks, uh, studio sessions, a whole bunch of information. And what I love about this podcast is you don't have to be a Madonna fan to truly appreciate the focus that this podcast has on music and the music of one of the world's greatest singers, whether or not you enjoy her music, but certainly a contributor to the music industry. So if you enjoy that in particular, the dissection and picking apart of isolated vocals and uh, drum tracks and whatnot, this is definitely a podcast you need to check out. I hope I did that justice, Edward. You've done it better than I could have done. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I discovered your podcast through another podcast that a friend of mine hosts. His name is Bill Antonew, and he has a podcast called Bad Gay Movies, Bitchy Gay Men. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've heard of it. They've been in touch. Yes. and Yeah, at the end of their podcast, they always talk about things that they enjoy. And uh, Bill happened to mention your podcast. And I was like, I'm a fan of Madonna's music. Let me check it out. (laughs) And I got hooked immediately. Well, I'm I'm pleased to hear that. But you're you're quite right. Obviously, the focus is on Madonna and Madonna's songs. But I think if you're just interested in in pop music or you know how music is put together, it's quite interesting. It's not too technical, um, but we do talk about things that I think a lot of 
fans of music don't really think about. So, for example, there's some of her early songs that have a very specific drum machine sound. So I talk a bit about the history of that drum machine and play other songs that have got it. And so it's a way of learning a bit about musical history, as well as, of course, learning about Madonna and how she wrote the songs and, you know, all the stuff around it. So, yeah, I think it. I think I think it's quite original and, and quite different from anything out, else out there at the moment. Most definitely. You know, I have to say, not since uh, Dolly Parton's America have I enjoyed a music podcast or a podcast that focuses on music and songwriters as much as yours. I'm so pleased to hear that because I kind of started it really as as, a, as something to do. And uh, people told me they liked it. And then lots of people told me they really liked it. And then it has become quite popular. So, you know, any positive praise, it just motivates me. And you'll know this as well, Marco, from your podcast. When people give you praise, it just makes you want to do more work and better work, I guess. But you're a busy guy. So what got you into podcasting? <laughs> I am busy and sometimes I don't have time to sleep, let alone even if I could sleep a full night through. Um, I started a podcast at the beginning of lockdown here in the UK. So, well, like many countries around the world, we went into lockdown towards the end of March. And it was quite a severe lockdown in the UK sure. to start with for a few months. And, I, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands and I needed something to do. And coincidentally, the Madonna song Vogue, probably one of her most famous tracks, if not her most famous, had just turned 30. Sure. And there were, there were a few articles about the song, about its cultural impact, and, and maybe a little bit about the recording of it itself. But th that wasn't the focus. And I know all this stuff because I'm a Madonna fan and I've read lots of interviews over the years. I'm also an amateur music producer as well. So any, every time I've read something about the recording of her tracks, I've really absorbed it. And I thought, well, it's a shame no one is telling the story of how it was written and it was recorded. Because it's a fascinating story. It was recorded as a B-side. It was kind of a test to pair Madonna up with the producer, Shep Pettibone, who'd remixed right. a few of her tracks. And he was given a tiny budget of $5,000, which seems a lot these days. But back then, that was nothing because that would be like two days in a studio. So it was a tiny budget. And I know that they recorded it in Manhattan in a basement because that's all they could afford. And that feels really strange that, to think that Madonna was probably her most famous at the time. But she's really into that kind of underground, literally, way of doing it. So I thought, I know, why don't I fill my time by doing a podcast, a one-off, where I talk about the recording of Vogue and see how it goes. Oh, so, so it was only going to be about Vogue? That it was going to just be a one-episode uh, podcast, just a tester? I guess so. I mean, okay. in the back of my head, I knew that if it did work, I might try a couple of other songs. Now, something that your um, listeners might not be aware of um, is that over the years, lots of what we call multi-tracks have leaked. Now, you don't have to know too much about music to know that all the elements in a pop song or any song are recorded separately. So the vocals, the bass, the guitars, the synth, the piano are all recorded on separate tracks, you know, anything up to, well, it could be hundreds, but back in the 80s and 90s, it was generally about 20, 25 tracks that they were recorded on. Now, these have leaked over the years, and I don't right. really know why, but you can get multi-tracks of classic tracks like by the Jacksons, by Whitney Houston, by Madonna, of course, and lots of great artists. And if, like me, you're interested in how music's put together, I can sit there and listen to, you know, just, I can listen to just the symbols 
on on a Prince track and go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I find that fascinating. Anyway, I had a few of these of Madonna. And there's about 30 of her songs that have leaked in this way, including some of the, the really big hits uh, like Express Yourself and um, uh, Like a Virgin and, and even up to, to, to modern times. Um, so I thought I'll start with Vogue and see how it goes. And I put it out there. And I did a bit of marketing around it because that's my background. So it got some attention. And I think within a day, it may have had 100 or 200 listens. And I, I, I had no idea if that was good or not. Good or bad, it, of course. It, um, and I thought it wasn't great. Um, so I asked on Twitter some of my friends what they thought. And they were like, oh, that's really good. I don't get that many in a month. And I was quite surprised at that. But what I've since learned is there are kind of two tiers of podcasts. And again, you'll know this. There are the people that just, you know, them and a mate will do a podcast about movies and put it out and they'll be happy if eight people listen to it. (laughs) And then there are the podcasts that are successful and they make it into the charts and stuff like that. And they, of course, get thousands of listens per episode. And you've got the top tier that will will get 10,000 in the first week or, or what have you. So I was I was thinking, okay, is this successful? I don't know. I'll do another episode. But it wasn't about the success of the number of listeners that really made me realize I might be doing something right. It was kind of the feedback I was getting because, okay. because uh, Madonna fans, and I'm sure there are fans of all sorts of things, especially music that are like this, are quite discerning of other fans that do stuff, um, perhaps a bit territorial. And I was waiting for somebody to be slagging me off <laughs> sure. or, or being negative about it. And it just didn't happen. And I would get messages from people because I created a Twitter account and an Instagram account. And I would get messages from people saying, I love it. It's really good. And you're really, really good. And I had no, I had no idea what I was doing because I don't listen to podcasts myself. I maybe have heard three or four. Um, Your husband before. does, I understand, right? He does. Well, he's a big podcast listener, <laughs> so I was able to uh, get his advice about I what see. worked and what didn't work. He said, "Keep it short." He said, "You know, he listens. I think he listens to a RuPaul um, podcast, and it's two and a half hours long." And he said, "It's too much." Right. Um, so he gave me lots of all these tips and stuff. Anyway. I could go into lots of detail, but the short story is within a very short time, the podcast became pretty popular. And now here we are many months later, and it's really popular. So um, its category is music commentary, and it's regularly in the top 10 or top 20 music commentary on iTunes and Spotify. And that feels good. But when you actually think how many thousands of podcasts are made every day, all the people making it's a real achievement and I'm really pleased with that I'm a bit competitive um (laughs) so that makes me feel really great and of course it's really motivating as well but the thing the thing that I think really resonates is I get messages off people Madonna fans who go do you know what this is what I've been wanting for so long I love Madonna but everybody always talks about her image and the things that she does that are outrageous her hair color they never talk about the music so I think be, I think it's come along at the right time. Um, when people want your to podcast gives them. your podcast gives a lot of respect to the artists that here we're talking about Madonna, and the reason I know that it's a great podcast is as I listen to it, I hope to hear other podcasts, or I hope you create other podcasts on other artists in this sort of style. So, like you mentioned, Prince, I would love to go down a Prince podcast where we sort of take his demos 
his tracks and really examine them. Or Dolly Parton, as I mentioned before, yeah. or you know George Michael. You name it, a bunch of artists who who's who are true artists, and sometimes they get eclipsed by their image or what they did in the eighties or nineties. It's so true, and uh, everybody's so quick to criticize Madonna. Um, mm-hmm. People very very rarely want to give her any positive. Uh, approval and I think there's also this thing that's followed her around her career that she is um, not particularly creative that she sings other people's songs uh, etc and the truth is that uh, you know a song like Like a Prayer she wrote in about three minutes uh, sorry in about three hours she's not that good right. um, but she wrote her and her um, collaborator on that song he sat down at a piano kicked out some chords she came up with the melody, came up with the lyric. They then went into a booth. He'd put down a drum track and she recorded her vocal and she never sang it again. That was the vocal that ended up on the song that was number one and you know has been one of her biggest hits for 30 years. And it's when you can share stories like that that people realise, oh, okay, so yeah, she is clever. She is clever. And do you know what? Yeah, she has sung other people's songs as well. And she has no Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston when it comes to her vocal abilities. But she's very creative. And I think people have enjoyed finding that out because I think a lot of Madonna fans themselves didn't know that. Um, so it's it's been nice to share those stories, I think. Yes, I, I certainly learned a couple of things from your podcast. And one, that she doesn't give herself enough credit uh, when it comes to her songwriting. And I think as a result, we don't think of her as a songwriter. It's it's very true. Um, people think of Madonna as being really confident, and she is in so many ways, but she's also very insecure. And right. it's, kind of, it's kind of her insecurity that's made her what she is. Um, so she, she knows she's not the most beautiful woman in the world. She knows that she hasn't got the best voice in the world. But nonetheless, she has this drive and ambition to succeed. And that's kind of made her uh, work harder than other people. Um, You know, Whitney Houston could sing a song and make it sound effortless. And it kind of was. She just had that, the way she was built inside. Her voice just sounded fantastic. And I'm not saying that she didn't work very hard. She trained very hard. Of course she did. But she had a natural ability. Madonna has, it's it's an unnatural ability. ability that she has and I think some people think therefore that she's manufactured so it's great to be able to discuss the truth behind all that you talk about her performance in her songs and I think that's something that separates Madonna from other people there might be a technically great singer but they can't bring that performance or that emotion to the song that Madonna can it's really true and I think it's really interesting when you look at Madonna's abilities in film because we know that she's not been particularly successful on the in the movie industry. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I like Madonna, but I, I agree that she's not the best actor in the world. But yet her performances and her songs are brilliant. If you listen to some of those 80 songs um, when her singing really was not where it is now because she did a lot of vocal training in the 90s for Rovita and it changed her voice but back then you know she was very high pitched and uh, there was a lot of strain in her voice but you listen to the performance on a song like Open Your Heart or Live to Tell and there's so much emotion in it um, which women didn't really do back then women 
in the music industry with a few exceptions of some of the punk artists or you know i'm thinking like people like patty smith um they they were all technically great singers they all had very beautiful voices like you know barbara streisand or you know even dolly parton who uh, i would say is a very creative person as, as you i'm sure agree but she has a very um technically great voice as well madonna was all about the emotion and yeah. i think that's what's fascinating about her without a doubt have you ever met madonna oh, do you know what people ask me this question and i of find course. it i find if i say i prefer not to answer it really freaks them out. <laughs> no, I'm, I, listen, I'm cool with whatever answer you wish to give here. I can tell you, I, I've met her. Yeah. I was able to go to the press conference uh, when she did a Ray of Light here in mm-hmm. Toronto, and I had a press pass. And I was, wor- I was doing it for a university radio station. So my credentials were sketchy at best, let's say, but I, got, I managed to get into the press conference. So I got there early, and I sat right in the front, and I thought to myself, the only way I'm going to be able to ask a question is if I'm first. <laughs> and so as soon as they came in with the microphone, my hand darted straight up. And the person who was walking with the microphone happened to be right next to me. She made the mistake of giving me the microphone. And so <laughs> I got to ask two questions, uh, both in succession. And then she took the microphone away. But I did get to ask her a couple of questions. And I got to correct Madonna because she, <laughs> she called me Mark. And I said, no, my name is Marco. <laughs> and she was very gracious about it. And she's just captivating in a way that's hard to describe. Well, as I said, I find it kind of funny to tease people about it. And I don't know why it's kind of a, a sick delight to have. But um, I, I've heard very similar experiences about how when you are talking to her, she just doesn't break eye contact and that she's very, you uh, you know why she's one of the most famous people yes. in the world. She has something very particular about her. As, you know, a lot of famous people do, I've managed to work with and meet and perhaps even be friends with lots of what you might call celebrities. And there's sure. a reason why some people really stand out from the crowd. I want to dip into things that you do, you know, in your daily life that aren't Madonna related. Oh, I've done all sorts of things, Marco. I started yeah. my career in the music publishing issue, but, industry but that was a long time ago. And, okay. and then I'm, I moved into television. Um, I worked for BBC for a very long time, 17 years. And uh, I worked there originally for Top of the Pops, which is was our big music TV show that ran for 40 years here in the UK. You may have even heard of it. I don't know. But it was, yes, I have. Yeah. Indeed. It was very popular. Um, and I worked there um, doing digital content and this is back in the days when digital content wasn't what it was now we're talking about the the turn of the century where um (laughs) it was very much more basic and you didn't have social media in the way that you have now sure um and then i changed jobs um to work on doctor who now i know you know doctor who because uh canadian broadcasting company partly funded it so um and i'm sure it's quite popular there most i've worked i worked on that show for 12 years and i was brand manager of Doctor Who, which was fantastic because that's a job, uh, sorry, that's a television program I grew up loving. And then to be on that side of the show where my job was sort of like looking after everything around the show, not doing all the stuff like the websites or the merchandise or anything, but looking after the people that did sort of acting like if you imagine how an orchestral conductor sort of conducts all the talented people, that was my job. But for the stuff around Doctor Who. And that was brilliant. And I worked on the show for a very long time. And so that's the, book I'm, that's the book I'm writing at the moment. I'm writing my memoirs of my time working on Doctor Who. So great. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, it's an interesting story, and it's oh, taken me a lot longer than I expected. And if my publisher's listening, don't worry, there is another draft on the way. Um, but um, there are so many stories about the making of the show while I was working on it, and lots of interviews with the famous people, the actors that played the Doctor and the, and the writers. But what me and the team that did our job came what we did was very interesting too and people just don't know those stories so it's nice to be able to tell those stories so uh yeah i don't think it's going to be a bestseller marco but i think some people might find it interesting oh i'm sure you'll have a lot of doctor (laughs) who fans lining up for that might we see that this year in 2020 i think we might see it early next year um okay it's, it's it's getting there um but i think um part of the reason why it's been delayed is because a lot of the intention was to to interview the people I work with to, to sort of remind me of stories. And that hasn't really been possible in the way I would have liked. Um, okay. And so I would originally wanted to have brought it out later this year and gone to some conventions, et cetera, to promote it. Right. So of I'm course. Hold, hold back in the hope that maybe I can do that next year. Um, well, we'll this, see. If you know a Doctor Who fan, definitely pre-order the book. Is it called uh, The Trip of a Lifetime, The Making of... Yes, of Modern Doctor Who, Trip of a Lifetime. Um, And um, it's published by Averse Books, and or it will be, and I'm sure that when the time's right, you'll hear about it because I'm I'm quite a good self-promoter, so I'll be making lots of noise. Let me know because I'll make sure to add it on our show notes so that when people hear this podcast in the future, they can just click on it and find the resource. Tell us something that surprised you that came out of one of your episodes. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, I think uh, I think the thing that struck a few chords, and I already knew this, but I put it out in that very first podcast, and lots of people didn't know, is that um, in Vogue, that very famous song, a couple of uh, other songs are buried into the mix. Um, so, for example, I'm not going to try singing, but there's a, a little bit that happens between each of the choruses on Vogue, where it's sort of a piece of music. Um, that's actually the intro to the song Lucky Star, Slow Down. So on Lucky Star, it's more sort of... That's the most singing you're going to get from me. But so And so a few other podcasts I've done when I've listened to the multi-tracks I've discovered a few other little things as well um tiny little things um and it depends perhaps on your listeners knowing the songs really well but there's a very famous song of hers from the 1980s called Live to Tell of course um, which is a big 80s ballad and one of her best songs and it's a fascinating song because it should never have been a hit single because it's about six minutes long. And in the middle, it sort of has a breakdown where nothing right. much happens. <laughs> yeah. um, when you listen to the multi-track of it, you can hear uh, the producer, Pat Leonard, in the background counting. And he's counting Madonna in and he's sort of counting down. I think I think he's counting bars. Um, and then he sort of goes, uh, three, two, one. And then you hear go, if I ran away. So it's just really those little things that don't make it into the actual final track. It's it's fascinating to hear. It's fascinating um, to hear. It's fascinating to learn when we listen to your podcast. I can say that. Sorry, I just interrupted you. No, no, that's fine. That's that's absolutely fine. Do you know what the biggest thing I've learned um, sure. from from doing this podcast, though, is just how lovely people are. <laughs> and maybe you get that with your podcast as well, because I think sometimes in this modern day, especially on social media, we come across people whose opinions are difficult to deal with. Um, but actually, when you're talking about something that's not politics 
or or not the current health situation and talking about something that people are interested in it's so lovely and people are so passionate about things and i'm sure you get that but certainly i've discovered people are, are, are beyond passionate about madonna and i think there's a perception that fans of whether it be music artists or, or you know movies or something like that are a bit crazy and you know maybe they are right hey, i worked i worked on doctor who for 12 years i know that kind <laughs> of the the very eager fan but um a lot of these people um being part of being a fan is not just about loving everything that somebody might do, for example. And a lot of fans of Madonna like to discuss the stuff that didn't work. And I think that's a really healthy attitude to have if you're a fanatic of of um, an, a, a musical artist or whoever. Um, and it's not that they want to slag it off, but they no. like to dis- they like to discuss things such as you know maybe this wasn't the right single choice or, you know, maybe she shouldn't have worked with that producer or, you know, that, that concert is, a you know, maybe she had laryngitis or something. And, and it's really great. And it's nice to be able to have those, those healthy conversations. So I've kind of discovered a whole network of people that I chat with on social media now, which, which is great, really refreshing. It, it is really lovely. Uh, you know, I've got great fans and I'll get emails from people who listen to the podcast who tell me they, listen for their anxiety and it's really helped. And that wasn't the intention of this podcast, but it reaches so many people. And it's so lovely to hear these kind of things from listeners, I have to say. Well, I had no idea your podcast existed. And actually, when you contacted me, I wasn't sure if it was a joke. I'd, <laughs> because I read about your podcast and I thought, hang on a minute, are you trying to say that my podcast is is going to bore people if we talked about it and they're going to fall asleep? But of course, I looked into it a bit more and I understand more about what it's out but i i don't want to say that i suffer from insomnia because that feels that feels defeatist so what i will say is i don't need an awful lot of sleep so i do understand those people that wake up in the night or maybe can't get to sleep that possibly need something to tune their mind in because when i have nights and they're very frequent when i can't sleep my mind is racing and that's probably why i have a problem sleeping because i'm playing things that have happened in the day or possibly going to happen the next day so i really respect what you're doing here because sometimes you just need to zone out and and put yourself into somebody else's world so thank you so i I think what you're doing is great and hopefully hopefully somebody's listening to this and in the nicest way possible it's sending them into a deep deep sleep you know (laughs) you have such a calming voice too you know there's so many conversations one can have, and there there are episodes of my podcast that really resonate with people. For example, a friend recently said that they can't listen to the badminton episode because it really gets me excited. Um, <laughs> she's a fan of badminton, and I'm like, I never thought that would be the case. So where I'm sure there's listeners who are listening right now saying, I love Madonna, and I love hearing this, and it won't put me to sleep. There's going to be others who are like, you know what? This is just the perfect conversation and the perfect lull <laughs> that will find me there. Well, this has been a revelation because um, I have done some professional vocal work in the past, um, and it's just been small stuff. Um, when I was at the BBC a couple of times um, for radio dramas, they needed people to read the credits. So I kind of aware have been aware that um, my voice works in that environment but I hadn't really thought too much about it but this has been one of the strange things and and please don't anybody think this is an ego but I get messages every day from people going I love your voice and I don't know why because it's just my voice but this is the thing that does slightly inflate my ego I get messages going you know 
I find your voice really sexy. <laughs> and, sure. <laughs> and I say this to my husband and he laughs because he says, <laughs> he says, when you're speaking normally, it is, he says, but the voice that you do on your podcast, and it's probably the voice I'm doing now, Marco, and I'm not even thinking about it. He said, that's not your real voice. And I've said, what do you mean by that? Because it is my real voice. And he said, it's like a telephone voice. When you're speaking professionally, he said, you, you have a rhythm in your voice that isn't sure. there when you're having a normal conversation. So it's not something I deliberately do, but Hey, I can tell you getting an email in the morning when you're feeling a bit fed up with the world saying, Hey, I've got, you've got a really sexy voice that that can start your day off pretty well. It, it certainly can. I never get those emails by the way. So <laughs> if anyone's listening who wants to send that to me, I'd be happy to receive them. Uh, Edward, I wanted to ask you a question that I asked Madonna on that day that I was at the press conference. Okay. I asked her, music has the ability to transcend language. What do you think her music gives people who don't necessarily understand lyrics? That's really interesting. I think what's at the heart of Madonna's music and part of why she's been successful is the melody. um, And that obviously does transcend the lyrics. Now, there's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, Madonna, Kate Bush, Michael Jackson, Prince, they were all born within six weeks of each other. Oh, and my that's, goodness. That's fascinating, isn't it? There's a few others as well, including people you may not be same, so familiar with, Siobhan Fahey from <laughs> Banana Rama and Shakespeare's sister, and one or two others. They were all born um, in the summer of 1958. And, and I've often wondered why they all became successful, not just as singers, but as songwriters, what it is about their music. And this is going back to what I was saying about Madonna and her command of melody. I think they were the perfect generation to have been brought up on 1960s music, whether that be the remnants of of rock and roll and, and, and the Beatles and the Stones into Motown and then into that early 70s music, certainly with the UK artists, they would have been influenced by glam rock and, you know, bands like David Bowie, so artists like David Bowie and bands like Roxy Music. Over in the States, I think it's very much more about things like the spinners and all that really melodic music into disco. And I think these people we're talking about that were born in the summer of 58, they, they hit the mark perfectly to absorb all that so that when they started writing music in the end of the 70s and the early 80s, they were re- their, their, their threshold, their creative threshold was to do melodies as good as that, but with all the new technology and everything else they'd learned. And I think Madonna's melodies really, really stand out. And one of the things that I've discovered, and you asked me what I discovered through the podcast is listening to interviews with or reading interviews with her collaborators who'll say they'll just write three chords, they'll, you know, whatever it is. And Madonna will pick a melody out of the air and it will just be the perfect melody. And I think that's what's at the heart of her songs. Um, and then, you you know, we often think of Madonna as being a dance artist because she's got those big dance hits. Sure. Like, like Holiday and Music and, and you know, Ray of Light and Vogue. Um but she's also known for those uh, ballads. Many of them have ended up as movie soundtracks as well. Like I'll remember, um, I mentioned Live to Tell and, and songs like that. Um, she has a great variety, but at the heart of all of her songs, I think, is melody. 
Does that answer your question? <laughs> it does. It does. I remember you also referencing where she was born in Michigan near Motor City yeah. and the music that was going on around the time that she would be growing up and how that may have influenced her as an artist. Oh, I think so, definitely. And I tell you, someone else who was a massive influence on her was David Bowie. Um, so she would have been, um, she would have been about 13, 12, 13 at the time that he first came to prominence, very much in the UK and, of course, in the US as well. Um, and she snuck out in the mid 70s from her parents' home in Michigan uh, to see his concerts. And uh, she was very, very heavily influenced by what she saw and if you think about it she very much like david bowie took a lot of that on board she became a bit of a chameleon sure had a different look um his shows were unlike um other musical shows you know it was much more of a theatrical performance he'd often have personas um and themes to the concerts and she did that with her shows as well so uh yeah uh, she's somebody who's who's absorbed everything around her. And I think growing up in Michigan uh, at that period will have really sort of infused itself upon her. And that's kind of what made her what she is today, without a doubt. What impact do you think Madonna has made to the music industry that she doesn't get enough credit for? Well, it's good and bad, really, because mm-hmm. um, I think she broke down the barriers for female artists without a doubt. Um, right. And... Uh, and that, you know, she was very provocative early on. She was very much her own person. She was a bit scary, I think, for some people. Um, but she was able to be a woman who was in control of herself. And in the 90s, she made that a, a, a very sexual thing. And we, you know, I'm sure even if you're not a big fan of Madonna, you'll be aware of her sex book and the erotica album. Of course. Really pushing stuff there. And also she did similar things for, for gay rights and uh, even adopted um, a, a period of, of sexual ambiguity herself. And what that has done is allowed modern female pop stars to embrace that and sort of be able to be comfortable um, with their sexuality in a way that they couldn't have done because she wa- she definitely was the first person to do that and be successful. Now, the reason I say good or bad is I think that also has the potential to go the wrong way because what Madonna did was to say, I can be feminine and I can be sexy, but I'm still strong and I'm still in control. And I do worry that some young artists, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but there are some that I've seen um, are are using their sexuality, but maybe not in control uh, in the way that Madonna was. And so um, I think they might still be be being exploited by the industry in some way. I don't mean in a, in a very bad way, but I think they, they're not taking the pure essence of what she did. Um, but without a doubt, she has, she's challenged some viewpoints and made things a lot easier. And there's a number of occasions where she could have, you know, it nearly killed her career. When she went on uh, the David Letterman show with Sandra Bernhardt, I think in about 1989 and they pretty much flirted with each other that could have killed her career and right. you know particularly it's it's different in Canada but it's still quite um conservative but very much so in in the United States as you know right. um and and so she didn't end her career there but there's been a few occasions where she nearly did but i think it's um uh, she kind of wants to be successful at the same time doesn't really care so that's kind of how she's managed to get away with it all the time did you happen to see that um, clip of her on Jimmy Fallon doing a 
uh, more ballady version of Borderline. I did. Uh, she's doing it. I think uh, Barack Obama is in the audience as well. Um, it's really interesting because yeah. um, she's singing it. Now, this is slightly technical. Maybe the musicians there will understand this. She's singing it a whole octave lower than she did in 1983, right. uh, February, February 1983, when she first recorded that vocal. Um, and uh, and that's partly because, well, everybody's voices age as they get older, and she may not be quite able to hit that high note. But also the vocal training that she did in the mi- mid-90s, uh, which really worked her voice for the um, Evita filming, she sort of discovered a whole new range so that she had a lot more power when she sang deeper but also when she was able to sing higher um it was less of a nasal sound and much more of a rich full airy sound um, so i think she's just it, it's chosen it's it's at the same notes as the original version but it's a whole octave low um low and it's really interesting to hear the event development in her voice and as you say it's quite a laid-back version of the original it's great it's a really good performance i think people should check it out yeah it's um it's one of her best songs as well i think i agree for me when you can hear a song transform into either another genre of music so you take it from say pop to rock or country or when you can change the pace and the uh, melody mm-hmm. of the song or make it slower and still have the same sort of feel from the song or a different coolness to the song for me yeah. that's a true test of a great song Oh, absolutely. Madonna does this a lot. I think she gets very bored with hearing the same versions of her songs. So if she does one of her older songs when she goes on tour, she'll often uh, reimagine it and it will be quite different. Um, People may be aware that when she sang Like a Virgin on her Blonde Ambition tour in 1990, a good six years after it was originally released, she did it as a sort of world music version. Um, It was very different. Uh, It had quite a I suppose, shocking and provocative theatrical sure. performance where she right. had um, two concubines on stage with con- male <laughs> males wearing conical bras as well while she writhed around on a bed. So, you know, it was uh, definitely reinterpreting the song quite a bit. But I remember. Still, yeah. It's still, I was at that concert. It was definitely oh, a moment. Yeah. Uh, was it in, in Toronto? Was it in Canada? Or They did do – well, didn't she do that on her world tour? She brought that performance – on a, she did. Like, yeah, she was on a bed, and she had those that, like, I just remember being in the audience and thinking, "This is just intense and incredible." Well, the reason I asked where that was is because I think famously she was nearly arrested in Toronto. Yes, um, uh, and she, I think she was scared that the Mounties were going to grab her afterwards because um, you know there were, a lot of people were against what she was doing. Same happened when she um, went to Rome to perform it there and i think the the the, the pope had uh, <laughs> condemned her um and it's kind of crazy when you look back now um and there is that whole thing that if a man had been doing what she right. was doing there would have been no problems with it whatsoever and that's like, like madonna or loathe her, her um she has definitely done a lot for women's rights because i think what she's done and I've said this already, is that she's shown that a woman can be strong but still be feminine and still be sexy. And I think a lot of feminists um, don't always address that. And so um, I think it's something quite unique to Madonna. Not unique, but something that's been very important to what she's done is to always remain female um, and feminine, um, yes. but still to be an e- equal with a man. Is there a song of Madonna's that has had significant impact to you? 
Um, there's so many of them uh, okay. that I love that I would find it hard to choose one in particular. Then let um, me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a song that you didn't like when you first heard it that you now have grown to love? Oh, definitely. Do you know what? I've mentioned this song already, so it feels a bit crass to say it again, but Vogue. When I heard Vogue, I was really not impressed at all because she'd just done the Like a Prayer album um, and that was, you know, transcended her creative abilities. It's got a very live sound. It's all live drums and a lot of guitars and bass. There's a lot of synth in there as well, but it's kind of a very sort of um, retro synth, uh, 70s type of synth in, in those songs. And then out she comes with Vogue, which felt like, the kind of house track that everybody else was doing at that time. Um, sure. It didn't feel particularly original. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, let her do this and maybe she'll do something else. And of course, within a very short period of time, I realized that, no, it is a, an incredible song. It's an incredible production. It kind of was what everyone was doing, but this is something that is very much what Madonna does. She sort of takes the best people and does the very best version of what everybody else is doing. Um, and, you know, working with Shep Pettibone, who was the ultimate remixer at the time, and getting him to produce a record for the first time, they, you know, they came out with a, a, a tiny bit of magic. Uh, so, yeah, Vogue would be a big, big sample. For me, it was Bedtime Stories. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't love, when that song first came on, I didn't understand it. I didn't grasp it. It was just too ethereal, too mm-hmm. not lyrical the way I expected a song to be. And now I can listen to it every day and I never get tired of it. It's a really simple song as well. I've done an episode on that one. So if you haven't listened to it or if your viewers haven't, do listen to it. Um, It's a song that was written by Björk, the uh, Icelandic songwriter, written for Madonna. um, And it's a very, very simple um, beat, a very 90s house, deep house track. um, But her vocals are very dreamy and ethereal. The melody is not a typical melody. It's not one of Madonna's. Uh, you know, she didn't write that. She right. hasn't got a credit on it at all. Um, and so it's very unusual melodically for her. Uh, and I think that's kind of what works. It's a very simple backing track, but a very haunting um, and slightly surreal um, lyric. With Madonna's straightforward pop vocals, it kind of works really well. Um, but I agree with you. It's a fantastic track and and it hasn't really aged at all. No. no doubt. I'm fascinated how you can just draw the year of every song and when it came out. That's that's fascinating <laughs> to me. Oh, I can do the same with Doctor Who, and I can probably do the same with ABBA, and what else am I a fan of? All sorts of things, uh, <laughs> especially when I've had to do something for work. Um, I'm currently working um, on a new project for Wallace and Gromit. I'm sure you've heard of Wallace and Gromit. Of course. In, in where you are. So we're creating um, an, a new Wallace and Gromit story, but it's an immersive one that people can have on their phone. And um, rather than it being a straightforward TV show or, or film, uh, it's augmented reality. So they'll be able to play out stories in front of them. Um, it's got a bit of gameplay in there as well. And it's it's very different, unique and a bit experimental. So I've had to become an expert in Wallace and Gromit too. Um, and I, I liked them before and I, I think I'd seen all of the films. Sure. But now I, I know everything and I know all the brand rules about how uh, Gromit must be seen and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm... I think I'm very good at absorbing facts. I work very well with facts and rules and stuff like that. Amazing. (laughs) Might we see another podcast with another musician who you have a lot of this information from, like like ABBA, as you mentioned? Well, um, I have thought about it. Um, Okay. uh, 
and I think someone has done the research on ABBA already. I mentioned okay. my friend uh, Magnus, who's who's written a book, um, and uh, I feel that whatever I did on ABBA would just be recreating what all the research that he's already done. And he got to go to Sweden and listen to all the all the tapes from the nineteen seventies, and so it would just be regurgitating his stuff. Um, so I don't know that I would. I feel passionately enough about another artist like Madonna or ABBA to be able to do that. There's lots of artists that I like, but I don't know there's anyone I feel passionately enough about it. But I, I am definitely interested in doing more podcasts. Okay. Because I've become fascinated with the genre and um, I seem to be quite good at it. So maybe I've got more to off the world. I don't know what it's going to be about, though. Um, I'll give it some thought. But Oh, um, I can't wait. It's addictive. Yeah. Podcasting is addictive. I have it's a four, drug. <laughs> I have four podcasts right now that this was my first and uh, will always be my first love. Edward, before we go, any messages you have for your fans? For my fans? Yeah, for I your fans. I don't know that I've got fans, but I'm sure there's fans in Madonna that like listening to my podcast. Okay. Um, so uh, if they happen to be listening to this as well, or perhaps there's some of your listeners that will become fans of my podcast. Sure. Um, I would just like, to, what would I like to say to them? I'd like to say, you know, thank you for being positive and being open because music and anything creative is never factual. And a lot of the time it's an opinion. Um, and you know, a lot of the things I do in my podcast are my opinion. I've been quite open when I feel that Madonna failed in something that, you know, one of her songs wasn't the best. And, um, and obviously I've done the opposite where I think she's been very, very successful and people have been very open to that. I've never had, I've never had people writing strongly worded emails to me or starting a campaign against me. And I know it sounds silly, but I had a bit of a fear that might happen. <laughs> so, um, I think I, uh, yeah, thank you for that. And actually, um, thank you to everyone that's come along for the ride with the podcast and, um, interacts with it on social media and, and is enjoying the journey. And I'll, I'll keep it going for as long as I've got the energy and the Madonna songs to do it. And, uh, I really hope that somebody has listened to your podcast and it's helped them get rid of some of their anxiety and they're going to sleep better, but also they're going to be checking out my podcast in the morning. You can find all the links on our show notes. Edward Russell, thank you so much for being a part of the Insomnia Project. Thank you for having me. I, I am going to extend a standing invitation when your book comes out or when your new podcast comes out, you're always welcome to be a guest on our podcast. I'll be in touch, definitely. And definitely listen to Inside the Groove. And I think you'll get something out of it very valuable. I certainly have. I've learned a lot. And I've discovered songs that I didn't even know of Madonna that I love, including Masterpiece, which I think oh, your podcast yeah. is. Oh, thank you. That's very You're kind. Welcome. Everyone else who are listening, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. As always, we hope that this helps you and perhaps that you were able to listen and sleep.